Maybe don't know. Maybe don't know. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. And this is Nate Drolet. And together we form... I didn't plan anything for this. It's good. You can't catch me off guard this time. Shit. This is what happens when you've been drinking. You don't plan ahead. And that's a bad thing. Um, so we've been sitting here. Nate just got back to Lander. Mm-hmm. Where have you been, by the way? Uh, rifle. Doing what, dude? Knee barring. <laughs> yeah, that's all you do. Knee barring and breathing in smoke, apparently. Yeah, and you talk about beta. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about beta. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if you climb. You crawl. <laughs> Vertical crawling. Yes. No. Actually, I kind of enjoy the climbing in rifle. Um, I'm not a... Is there a word for like a rifle um, local? Rifleite? Rifleite. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know if that's right. I feel like there should be a much more derogatory term. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I don't know what that would be. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm definitely not a rifleite, but, but I do enjoy it for like, an hour and a half or so before I need to move on. Um, but Nate's been a rifle and he just got back to Lander, Wyoming here where I have been mostly just battling with a new computer and trying to get it set up and painting my house. And, and actually I am back to training and I've been climbing outside quite a bit. Um, so that's kind of cool and feels different which is weird. Shouldn't feel different. It should just be normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm settling in here, so maybe it will be normal. Um, but anyway, why are you back here? Why aren't you just still in rifle? Oh, uh, here to work and here to train and been and here to s- podcast. Here to podcast. It's an addiction. Yes, we're addicted to this. We ate dinner. We sat here drinking beers and talking like we normally do, and we were like, "Hey." We've got stuff to podcast. We should just podcast. And we're going to talk about the top five reasons why the pros are better than you and better than us. Um, because there are real reasons for this. And and I think they're worth talking about. Some, some aren't available to everyone, but some are. So I think it's worth discussing why the the big names that we watch on Instagram, on uh, on Facebook, on Real Rock, why they're better than we are. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them don't train, frankly. Yeah. Um, or at least they don't call it training. So I think it would be interesting really to dig into why we think that they're better. Um, Let's just jump into this thing. So the we're going to look at five. These aren't necessarily in the in the order that we tried, but I think you could easily flip this list over and it could be it could make just as much sense because I think our number 5 reason is sort of the the spawn of all the others. <laughs> it 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 gives birth to why all these other four reasons are possible for a lot of people. Um, Not for everyone, because there certainly are outliers. There are climbers who sort of buck the trend with these rules. But but by and large, this is how we see it. Mm -hmm. And that number five reason is money slash privilege. And, and frankly, if we're just being honest here, and I'm going to go ahead and say it, it's pretty much white privilege at this point. Um, most pro climbers are 
as in this country anyway. I'm not going to speak about other countries because I just don't know enough, frankly. But in the U.S., most pro climbers are white climbers, and that's largely because they've had the privilege to be able to pursue that. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean... You're just staring at me like I'm crazy for even saying this. No, I mean, I, I agree with it. Um, you know, and I think it's important to say that money obviously by itself doesn't isn't a standalone because there's a lot mm-hmm. of people who have trust funds or who just have enough money that they don't need to work. And man, they're worse off for it when it comes to their climbing. Yeah, totally. Um, they're the people who were like, man, you know, you maybe go like volunteer, do something, like have something else to fill your time with mm-hmm. um, because they don't have these other four qualities that we're going to speak on. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of the elephant in the room. Like if you're a pro climber in the United States, like chances are like you, the most work you've ever done was probably like part-time work as a route setter in a gym. Yeah. Yeah. And like you just said, it's the elephant in the room. So we considered making this our number one reason. Um, but I think it's important to lead with it so that we understand that a lot of these other four qualities are made a little easier to obtain when this is your starting point. Um, it doesn't mean that's the only way. There are certainly great climbers out there who don't have money and privilege backing them. Mm-hmm. Um, 100%. That's not even a question. But it is for sure easier to have the time, the opportunity, the the fee for being on a youth team, you know, whatever it might be, if you have that money or that privilege to begin with. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's a huge difference. Um, and it's, so there's this concept called the Matthew effect, which is those who have will receive more. Um, and so a good example of this is if you look at like a youth basketball team. So if you have a kid who at 13 is 36 feet tall, chances are he's going to be starting in every single game because he's starting every single game. He's going to get more experience. He's going to get better. So because he already had a head start, he's going to keep having that head start and he's going to get better than everyone else because of it. So the thing is, you know, let's say, let's look at climbing. If you have someone who, like if I'm looking to sponsor someone, let's say I'm a shoe company, if I have the choice between someone whose parents can fly them to South Africa every summer and, you know, they can post all these videos with nice cameras or nice phones or whatever versus some kid who can barely afford a gym membership in the Midwest, it's like, that's not a question. Right, like, totally. I'm, like, I'm going to go ahead and like give a free pair of shoes to the kid who is already traveling the world and taking great photos and all this stuff. Like, I mean, that's, it's such an easy decision. Like, so those who already have will receive more like in that case. Totally. I mean, I think, I think it's worth mentioning that sponsorship, um, since you just brought that up, doesn't revolve around ability or potential as much as it revolves around the ability to talk about what you've been doing and show what you've been doing and create media around what you've been doing um, and get people excited about what you've been doing. So I think that if you're starting from a place of, of, I don't want to, I don't want to say less, but that's, that's really what it comes down to when we're just looking at numbers. When you're starting from that place you don't have, like you mentioned, the nice cameras or the iPhone that you can go out and shoot high quality videos on of your bouldering trips or whatever, then there's not as much reason for you to get a sponsorship. And that first sponsor can be a huge leg up in getting your next sponsor Mm -hmm. and getting your next contract and so on and so forth. Um, so I think you're right. I think that when you start with more, it's easier to get more. Yeah. And I mean, and it, and it makes sense too, because sponsorships, I mean, it's a business transaction. 
Totally. Like, it is not a handout. It is not. Shouldn't know, be anyway. It shouldn't be. <clears throat> um, you know, it's like, you know, it's not charity. Like it is, I'm going to give you something and I expect something in return of equal or greater value. It's like, and that's, you know, that's business. Mm -hmm. And so it makes much more sense for a company. Like if I could just give someone a pair of shoes and they're already going to be able to fly around the world on their own dime and like, you know, post all these videos, that's so much, I'm <clears throat> getting so much more value out of that than they are for just for giving them a pair of shoes or, you know, X amount of shoes a year or whatever. Um, so, it, and I, I don't want to go like, I don't want to make people think that giving someone in the Midwest who only, who doesn't have the privilege, who doesn't have the money, giving them a sponsorship is charity. I don't want to make that, um, misconception, but I do want to make sure that people understand that oftentimes when big companies are sponsoring people, it's not based on their potential. Totally. Um, because there are lots of climbers in the Midwest who don't have money, who didn't start from privilege, um, or all around the country, not just in the Midwest, all around the world, who, who have crazy potential. Mm -hmm. But because they aren't able to get their faces out there in front of people, whether it be in youth teams or big trips or social media or whatever, they're not afforded the same opportunities. Um, so I don't want it to sound like it's charity um, when you're giving someone with potential a sponsorship. But most sponsorships just aren't based on that, frankly. Yeah. Like you said, it's a business transaction. Um, no, so that's, that's a definitely a good point. Um, so to go back to, I mean, the benefits of having money and privilege, um, like you have more time, like you don't have to work as much. Yep. You get to travel more, which like both I mean, as a child and as an adult, we're talking here. Yes. Um, being able to travel, like this is one thing that if people want to get better at, as rock climbers, like traveling is one of the greatest things you can do. Like you're going to climb on a lot more rock. You're going to climb around other people with different styles. Like you have the potential to learn more traveling than almost with anything else. Like yep. it is a huge leg up. Um, yeah, it's like that is that by itself is a huge difference. And the time that comes with it. Like, you know, if you're like a 17 year old kid and you don't have to have a summer job and you can just go to like Rocklands for three months, it's like you can do a lot of hard rock climbing. Like, and I think this is a huge thing that people don't quite understand is like, there are a lot of people out there. Like we travel a good bit for whenever we put on clinics, mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who are just as strong as pro climbers are. Totally. Like it blows me fucking away. Like totally. It's unreal just how strong people are and how like just good of climbers they are. But what they, was the dude in Kansas city's name? William oh, Shao. Shao. Yes. Yeah. Um, so strong. It's yeah. so cool. Just middle of nowhere. Crusher. Yeah. And I mean, we meet people like that everywhere. Yeah. Like there are people who, you know, it's like I'll ask people their goals and they'll be like, oh, I'd really like to climb V12. And I'm like, you should maybe be aiming for like V14. Yeah. You should get on some V12s tomorrow. Yeah. You know, when you're done flashing them, like keep going. <laughs> yeah. But it's just a matter of like, they don't have, they're like, hey, I have three weekends a year to go climb outside. Like I don't live near rock or I have all these other life responsibilities. I love getting to climb, but I'm stuck in the gym. I don't have the opportunity to go out. And it's just like, man, if you had like, it's one of those things where I just, it's just like, can I just like drive you to Joe's Valley real quick? Like right, you'll just do, right. you'll just climb Joe's and then we'll go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but like, the, like, so there are a lot of people who have great potential. Um, but it's just a matter of they don't have the means or like, or maybe it's, you know, maybe they do have the means or time, but they'd rather dedicate it to other things. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think that's a really valuable point to look at, you know, because there are a lot of people who don't find climbing until somewhat later in life and they still have great potential, but they have a family to think about. They have a full-time career to think about. Um, and, you know, that's something that honestly, and, and you've already mentioned this, most climbers in this country don't 
most pro climbers in this country don't really have to think about outside of climbing. Um, I don't know of many pros who have families who have other jobs outside of climbing. Mm -hmm. Um, most of the pros who have families were pros before they had families. Um, they didn't come into it in that position. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to keep that in mind, um, when you're wondering why the pros are better than you. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's definitely this perception too that, um, and it's something that I'm personally not a very big fan of that, um, if you climb outside more, that somehow makes you like a better person than if you spend more time in the gym. Um, and I've seen this a lot with like uh, youth climbers, <clears throat> for instance. Um, so I was in Waco a few years ago around the rock rodeo and there was like a youth crusher who he doesn't rock climb anymore. Um, but there was like a circle of pro climbers for some reason I was there and uh, he walks up and he starts talking about how he had been traveling around the world, climbing and all these different things. And at one point, he was just like, yeah, you know, and I've got my friends back home who they like to brag about like, or they like, they're really psyched about the climbs they did in the gym. But I tell them that those don't really matter. Like, right, cause it's not right, outside. Right, right. And so he ends up walking away and the pro, like a few of the pro climbers like, oh, that's cool that he knows the difference between indoors and outdoors. And in my mind, I'm like, no, like he's just a brat. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's the truth though. It's like yeah. those kids that climb at his gym probably can't like, their parents can't send him them to like around the world to Europe to go climb in the summer. Like right. to them, like that V nine in the gym, like that is their dream dream goal for that week or that month. Like totally, and that's totally fine. It's awesome. Like that's what they're psyched on. Like yeah. And so I think like there is this, <clears throat> like I don't want to say elitist, but it kind of is like this idea it that like is. oh if you're not climbing outside, like it doesn't count. And it's like I love rock climbing. I love mm -hmm. climbing outside, but mm -hmm. it's like you know, there, there's definitely this hierarchy and, uh, I think it's a little silly. Do you log your indoor climbs on a day? No, I barely, I don't, I don't even send outside. So it's not like I log anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree though. You know, it's some people don't climb because they want to go outside. Yeah. I'm from Houston. Like everyone I knew was like that forever. Like yeah. when I first started, it was like, Oh yeah, for Thanksgiving we're gonna go to horse pens and cool. I guess I'll bleed from my fingertips for a week and then I'm gonna go back to plastic and I'm gonna go back to the projects that I care about. Like, I mean, I fun Texas fact: horse pens from where I live or grew up in Texas was 50 miles closer than Waco tanks. Right. Like, I didn't live near rock really. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, for me, like the gym was awesome. Well, I loved it. Like I had my awesome crew that I climbed with. Like it was just a ton of fun. Yeah. And there's a lot of kids growing up that way right now, you know, and a lot of adults who are sort of stuck in that mode and it's stuck is the wrong word. They're, they're in that mode because mm -hmm. that's what they have available. Um, they don't have the time. They don't have the opportunity to get outside. Um, and that's fine. I mean, I think, I think we're way beyond the point where it makes you cooler to climb outside. You know, maybe that's what it was when gyms were the anomaly, when mm -hmm. they were the new thing and they were just a byproduct of climbing outside. But I think that's flipped. You know, they're probably, I'm totally guessing here, but... <laughs> But I would bet there are more people climbing in gyms than there are climbing outside right now. Totally. And as someone who likes climbing outside, I'm fine with that. Yeah, like, totally. I have no problem with it. Yeah, like, and it's cool too, because like I get to meet so many people when we go to gyms who they're just like, they're like, man, one of my coworkers like introduced me to this and this is cool. I get to do this on Wednesdays now. And like, this yeah. has been an awesome like added yep. experience to my <clears throat> life. And I'm yep. like, this is cool. Like, you know, this person doesn't ever they don't feel like they're missing out by not going outside. Like they're just having fun. Like, and I think that's fucking awesome. Yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, and it's just like, you know, there's a lot of people that rock climb in gyms and if they all went outside, that'd be a bad thing. Like <laughs> we don't have that kind of space. They're all in rifle, so, actually. Yeah, they're all on the project wall right now. Um, <laughs> but for real, it's like, you know, if you're having fun, like awesome, get after it. 
Yeah, totally agree. And and I do think that's the kind of root reason. Um, it's it's the thing that starts the pros, most pros, on the path that they're on. And and it doesn't have to be money. It it really is just opportunity. Money drives a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's opportunity, and it's the privilege to have that opportunity. It could also just be like where you grew up. Like if you mm-hmm. happen to grow up somewhere where it was like, oh, this is a hot spot for. Do people grow up in Boulder, or do they just move? I think there? everyone's a transplant. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but I mean, for instance, <clears throat> like a good example is Dallas. Like there are a lot of really good, especially a lot of great women climbers who mm-hmm. come out of Dallas. Um, like you know, and it like that just happens to be a place where like they're really good at cultivating youth climbers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like that, you know, that's a geographic privilege, like, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I think that's the root cause. And then building off of that, we've got a few attributes that, that almost anyone can cultivate to some degree. Totally. You know, I'm not trying to just totally shit on pro climbers here and just say, oh, you're just a bunch of privileged brats. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of privileged brats who don't climb well. There totally are. (laughs) And there are some pro climbers who aren't privileged brats. I won't say there's a lot of them, but there's some. (laughs) And I'm just not trying to, to shit on those people. So they do have quite a few attributes that that we can look up to and we can try to emulate and will make us better climbers if we're successful in that. Mm -hmm. And our number four is that they have consistency and also as a byproduct of that money, privilege, and consistency is that they have peers who have sort of similar goals similar ideas, similar schedules and structures to their life. So consistency and peers is our number four. Mm-hmm. So first let's kind of talk about the peers so that we can sort of get the shitting on the pros out of the way. Okay. Yeah. No, I think it's a good, it's a good move. <laughs> um, so I think peers is really important. Um, you know, there's that whole idea that you're the average of the five people that you're surrounded by. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Dave McLeod's talked about this. Uh, he said, you know, if you want to climb V15, go climb with a bunch of V15 climbers. Yep. Like if you're surrounded by people who like every time they go into the gym, they try hard and they are just consistent with their work. Cause that's just it. Like if all it took to climb hard was like one six week bout of just like, I'm going to campus board for like four hours every day. Mm-hmm. Anyone could do it. Like anyone can try hard for a short period of time. Until their elbows blow up. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, but to be able to tr- like consistently put in the work for year after year, like yeah. that takes a special level of dedication. Like, and it's fun. It sucks. It's like, it's not fun to do that. Um, but having people around you who are also like on that same driven goal, that's huge. So any day that you're not feeling it, like, and they are, you're like, okay, I'm just going to ride their motivation Yep. or vice versa. Yeah. I mean, totally when shortly, uh, maybe not even shortly, but a couple of years after I first met you and climbed with you, you started climbing a lot with Jimmy Webb and Brian Bogus and Brad Weaver and that crew. And I was very envious of that because I knew as soon as I started seeing that you were climbing with those guys that you were going to skyrocket because those guys had some level of opportunity. I won't call it necessarily privilege because I don't know their situations, but they did have the opportunity to climb outside a lot and they were good climbers and you fell in with that crew and and I knew you were going to learn a lot from that situation. Um, so I think that means a ton to have people around you who think that V10 is a warm up. Mm-hmm. I got you really know. good at carrying pads to remote V14s. I'm like, <laughs> next level. <laughs> I wish I could employ you for that, but 
I don't even know any remote V14, so I can't do that. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it was like, that was something I feel very fortunate for. And it's that like, and even, you know, I feel like with any, like all sports that I've ever done, I've been like kind of fortunate with that and that, like I've been surrounded by just people who are better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny, like I ran cross country in high school and for the longest time I was just like, oh, I'm like, whatever, like I'm not really a great runner. Like I was like my whole, everyone on my team was significantly better than me. And I'm from Houston where it's just like, like people in Texas take high, high school sports very seriously. And uh, <laughs> like, you know, it's very much a stereotype, but it's true. But it was funny, like when I was in college. Was Friday Night Lights based in Texas? Yes. I thought so. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I went to college up in Kentucky and then in Tennessee, but I went to a friend's, uh, it was his little brother's high school cross country state meet. And he was running in the state meet and he runs and he finishes. And I was like, this seems kind of slow. And I looked, I would have taken second in state. Mm-hmm. Like I have never in my life won a ribbon or a trophy for anything. <laughs> ever. Not even bowling. Oh wait, that's not true. I ah, gotcha. I forgot about that. But for like running or <laughs> for running or climbing, it's like, yeah, like in an actual open competition, it's like, like in running, I always consider myself just like, I don't know, it was kind of fun and I enjoyed it. And like, I had a cool team of guys that I ran with, but it's like in hindsight, it's like, it was just like, I didn't even realize that the people around me like pulled me so far forward. Right, right. Um, Just because that was the group <clears throat> I was with. Um, And I think that's, you know, in climbing, like I was fortunate in the same way that like, I just always was climbing around people that were much better than me. So it was like the perspective and just like, you know, if the weather wasn't great, it's like they still climbed or if they didn't, then they would train. And it's like, that's just what you did. Yeah. Like you just kind of kept pressing forward. Yeah. And I think you can fall into that if you're like the youth climber who has some of those kids on your team when you're, when you're a kid and and you can learn from that. But as adults, we can also employ that as well. You know, it's, it's totally feasible to look around you, find the other people who are working hard and, and, and just build a rapport with those people to try and work hard together. When this, when the power company started, that's exactly how it started Mm -hmm. was, I needed some fucking people to train with. Yeah. So I built this thing to have people to train with. And somehow you, know? you convinced Taylor to train. That was way down the road. <laughs> <laughs> Still I actually, on that. I actually offered Taylor to train him for free and he <laughs> turned me down. And then a year later he came back and said, okay, I'm going to take you up on that. And I said, how do you know that offer's still open? Yeah. But but <laughs> early on, it was like, I need partners. I need partners who are just as stoked, just as dedicated, mm-hmm. just as willing to get into the gym and really battle for it as I was. Because I knew if I were doing it by myself, I had a much higher chance of burning out finding something else to do, finding excuses for not getting into the gym. So I sought out those people who were, who would be willing to do it. And Mm -hmm. I convinced them maybe a little bit of trickery to do it as well. Yeah. And, and I definitely chose correctly early on the people I chose. Some of them are still with me today, you know, are still, with the power company today. So you can find those people, no matter what age it is you start at. When I started back to sport climbing, I was, it was already after 30, uh, 32 or something, hmm. 31 or 32. Um, so you can do it at any age. It doesn't just have to be that you grew up with a, a group of kids who are already steeped in that tradition. You know, you can find it. Totally. Yeah. And I think, and it just makes things more fun. It does for sure. Like having a great crew of just people that like, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, cause training, like if you're doing it right, kind of is hard. Like 
it's hard. It can come sometimes it just kind of sucks. It's just like, if you can do that with other people, it's like, you know, you can have some enjoyment out of it. Um, If nothing else, you can watch someone else like be just as pissed off and upset as you are because they're having to deal with it. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, well, I'll I'll make it through this. Right. Um, Right. I I think that like what you just mentioned, that training is hard and that it, if you can watch other people flail around a little bit and struggle with the frustration, then it helps you out. I think that leads right into our number three, which is that a lot of the pros have a really good built-in process and approach. They had a really good start to their climbing. Um, and if you if if you're lucky enough to have people around you who are willing to dig into the frustration of climbing and find it and see it as a challenge as it as something that will help them grow as opposed to just something that's holding them back um, then you've got a leg up already mm-hmm. you know and i think a lot of the kids, not to not to harp on this, but a lot of the kids who come up through this uh, team system and have the kids who continue all the way from, you know, the beginning of um, the the very earliest youth climbing, youth D to to juniors, those kids get that far because they have a good process, most of them. And they've learned that process along the way. And you've learned it with them if you've had that privilege to, to be able to continue in that system. Um, not everyone, obviously, has that privilege. So seeking out the people who have that good attitude, who have that growth mindset, is really, really important. Totally. I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, I mean, when you look at process... Like, I mean, when you look at great climbers, like the way they even just approach something, um, I mean, just like climbing outside is a great example. Like, um, I've seen so many high level climbers that it's just like, like they view things not as like, a. when they see something, they're like, I just have to get it done. Like there isn't another option. Like this is a challenge. Like, and that's how they view it. It's not something like. And they don't take the failure personally. Yes, that's what I guess I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's not it's not a reflection on them as a human. It's and as a person, it's just a reflection of their process. Mm-hmm. I think that's the really big takeaway is that when a when a really good climber, uh, a pro climber, fails on a project it doesn't mean that they suck as a climber. It just means there's something in their process they need to alter, something mm-hmm. they need to change, something they need to make better. Yeah. And that's a really, really important lesson to learn. And especially in today's society of participation trophies and everything has to be perfect and failure isn't supposed to be an option, but failure is what we do, you know, 99% of the time. And these kids have come up in this system that's helped them really understand that. Um, so surrounding yourself with those people who have that process, who've, who have that approach, who have started that way can make you understand it that much faster. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. And you know, I, like as far as how this can apply to just every person, um, when I, we talk about process, this could even just be working a single boulder problem. Um, I can't tell you how often it is that, you know, we'll work with someone, they'll try and move three times and they're like, oh, I can't do it. And they're done. Yeah. Move on. Like it blew me away the first time I ever went bouldering in Colorado because what a lot of people do is they'll like go out like, I would go out with a buddy and we'd get to a boulder at like 10 in the morning. Like we'd get warmed up, get there at like 10 in the morning. We wouldn't hike out till it was dark. And that was the only boulder we tried. And like 
that first summer I went out, I climbed like, I had climbed one V10 before that. I was out just for the summer and I climbed like six new V10s right. that summer. And it was just like, you know, you could easily be like, oh, this was like a huge amount of growth. But it was like, I was spent like, let's say one only took me three sessions. That was like 18 hours of work. Right. Like not many people will ever like put in that much time into a single boulder, like over the course and of three And that could be days. a single move. Yeah. Like, I mean, often it was like there yeah. were two different boulders where it was like, okay, I just have to stick this one move and then I'll do the boulder. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, I try the move, I rest 10 minutes. I try it again, I rest 10 minutes. And I would do that for just hours right. until it eventually got done. And, you know, I make small adjustments, see how I can make things better. But it's like, had I not been surrounded by people who were like, yeah, we're just going to go to Whispers of Wisdom today. I'm like, cool, what's next? They're like, no, we're going to Whispers of Wisdom today. <laughs> like we'll be getting, we're going to hike in at about 8 a.m., warm up, and then we're going to be at Whispers of Wisdom today, like until it's dark or we do it. Right. And I was just like, whoa, this is, this is kind of serious. Yeah. Like, but that was a process I had never seen before. Yep. Um, yeah. Normally it's like, I mean, at least the way that I understood bouldering, the way I understood route climbing is that you try it a few times and then you move on to something else, mm -hmm. you know, and you try that a few times and then you move on to something else. And, and that's a, that's a valid approach as well, but the thing that separates the pros from the people who are climbing seriously but still somewhat recreationally is that the pros understand that this process means digging in and really working their asses off to get it done. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at Angie Payne on the first V13 for women, that was a long-ass process. It took her years of work to make that happen, to kick that door open. If you look at Chris Sharma climbing Jumbo Love, years of work to kick that door open. You know, that's a long ass process that most people would give up on long before it was seen to fruition. Mm -hmm. No, totally. And it, it's one of those things that kind of jumps back to when we talk about peers, like seeing other people and being like, oh, like this is how you take things seriously. Like, okay, like I'll do the same. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important. And, um, I think something that kind of segue to our next point is um, when we talk about process, like one thing that the highest level climbers do better than I think almost anyone is when they come up against a roadblock, they say, how can I fix this? Yeah. Like, what can I do to make myself better? Instead of saying like, oh, okay, like I'm just not good at this. Like I'm not a crimp person. They're like, no, how do I get great at crimps? Like I want to do this. Um, right. And I think, so our number two point is, is going to come up after the break going to come up after the break <laughs> break. break hey everybody chris here i'll try to keep this short and sweet since this thing became officially official i've basically been obsessed i've got dozens of episodes waiting to go out and i'm constantly recording new conversations i want to continue putting this level of energy into it and you all can help We've created a page at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast where you can help support what we're building. In return, even for as little as a dollar per month, you'll get access to the brand new We Scream Like Eagles podcast, which includes tips from our guests, extra conversations about hot topics, and Q&As with your questions posed to our guests. If you think it's worth more than a dollar a month, we've got other rewards available on top of the bonus episodes like stickers, ebooks, t-shirts, and training plans. So if you've been considering pitching in, now's the time. That's patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast. Thanks a ton, and back to the show. And we have returned. Number two. All right, number two. Um, uh, and so this one is... I think really overlooked by a lot of people. And it's that most pros don't really have weaknesses. Um, yeah. And, 
And we should qualify that because they do have strengths. Yes. But that doesn't mean that what isn't their strength is necessarily a big weakness. Yes. They don't have extreme weaknesses. Yeah. Um, so an easy example is, you know, you look at someone like Chris Sharma and you're like, okay, yeah, he's just like really strong and like fit and whatever. Like the dude's done to bolter not to be like. Right. He's not just a jumpy dynamic climber. He yeah. Can, he can climb some technical vertical when he needs to. Yeah. He's done a lot of <clears throat> really hard technical climbing yeah. in his life. Um, you know, we can kind of go down the list of almost any climber and it's like, it's very easy to say like, Oh, Daniel Woods is just like really strong, has really strong shoulders and core and fingers. And that's it. And it's like, cause he's brute. He has such a high level of brute strength beyond like almost anyone else in the world. It's easy to like kind of assume that he's just not a great technical climber, but yeah. it's like, actually he's done a lot of really hard granite climbing and like he's a really, really good rock climber. Yeah, totally. Like his weaknesses are stronger than almost anyone else's strengths. Yep. Um, and it's because he's spent so much time developing these things. Yeah. And partly because he's had the opportunity to do so. Totally. Um, and that's totally fine. I mean, I think you take it how you can get it. So if you have, if you can create the opportunity to go out and gain some experience elsewhere, you should do that. Yeah. You know, especially if it's, uh, th this is a tough actually point of contention in my own head, I guess, okay. because I'm the only one contending this. <laughs> Um, but riddle me this, if you have a very, very limited amount of time to get out, to, to create those opportunities where you can go to other rock types and styles and areas, should you do that? Or should you play to your strengths and go where you know you will perform the best? I guess it depends what your future will look like and what your goals are. Like if eventually you're going to have more time off and you're going to be able to climb more, then I say, you know, like take the hit now and learn more. Build the skills. Yeah. Develop the skills <clears throat> because I mean, yeah, like you go, like here's a really easy example. I went to Flagstaff, Arizona and climbed at Priest Draw. I only climbed there for three days, but when I was there, I tried to climb literally everything. Mm -hmm. I learned more about toe camming and toe hooking from those three days than I have in like, you know, probably the equivalent of like 12 months of guiding in Waco tanks. Right. Like right. as far as roof climbing goes, I learned more in those three days because my whole goal was just to climb everything like in that short amount of time. Now I could have gone and been like, oh, I'm just going to pick one rock climb or I could have gone to straight to somewhere like Waco or Joe's where it's like overhanging crimps and I could have picked something right up my alley and climbed harder than I, what right. I did in priest draw. But like I learned so much that has since like <clears throat> benefited me greatly. Like, so I think if you're open to it, you can learn a lot from very little time, mm -hmm. but you have to be willing to be open and learn from it. Yeah. And I think the flip side of that is that if you're in a situation where you know that you will most likely only be climbing in this area for the rest of your years, whatever that might be, or for the majority of it, and you're really only interested in doing this type of thing, then that's what you should focus on. And that's totally okay, you know? Yeah. If you want, if you want to have major strengths and glaring weaknesses, great, do it. But... The one of the big differences between the pros and you is that they don't have those weaknesses. Yeah. You know, that's that's what makes them so good at what they do is that they've they've been widely traveled, they've tried a bunch of different rock types, they've tried a bunch of different styles, they've tested themselves on all sorts of things. Um just to give another example like you did. Angie Payne was just recently here at the machine shop. Mm -hmm. Oh, I and know. <laughs> I sent you all of your projects being flashed. 
Yes. Via text message. I was very happy about that, actually. <laughs> um, but Angie is known as a crimp and tension sort of climber. And she's very, very, very good at that. Exceptionally good at that. But that didn't stop her from second try doing my mid-term 30 attempt, <laughs> maybe more, sloper project mm -hmm. that luckily I sent the week before she showed up. Yes. Um, but she did a second try pretty damned easily. And she's not known as a, a sloper climber, you know, but it's not a massive weakness for her in comparison to the average, the standard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and to use another example, and this is someone who we kind of, uh, call out pretty frequently on this podcast, but, um, Segrist back before he climbed 15 a, mm -hmm. like he, everything he had climbed were these big mega pitches, like big, long rock climbs. And he came out here to Lander and he did moonshine, which is, I don't know what, 40 feet. It's like a 40 foot, 14 Short, D. Yeah. Like, um, like it is very severe. Like, and it's the kind of thing where it's like, he, he could have just skipped over that. He'd have been completely fine just going and climbing right. more big rock climbs right. with higher, like, you know, equally high numbers, if not higher, like for same or less amount of time. Yep. Like, but he put in a lot of effort to be able to get that done because he knew that if he could climb a 14 D that was that short, then it's like when he goes back to things that are much bigger and like, I think it was the next year that he climbed biography. Mm -hmm. Um, but when he got on bigger things that he was already fit for, it's like, he's going to be a better climber for it. Um, and I think a lot of rock climb, like a lot of the best climbers and not even just professionals, but those who climb at the highest level, like they do this, like they seek out their weaknesses to the point to where, even if it is like, you know, it's like, okay, like so-and-so is really good at like slopers and compression, like look at Jan Hoyer. It's like, oh, he's a big guy who climbs on slopers and does big power moves. He's done action direct. Right. Like that's kind of a heinous, like mono rock climb. <laughs> right, like right. The, the exact opposite of what most guys who are like six foot four and like, I don't know, 180 pounds would ever want to do. Right. Yeah. And that's not to say that they don't have weaknesses. Again, mm -hmm. I just want to reiterate that. Totally. We all have weaknesses. They've just they've spent a considerable amount of time not only playing to their strengths, but also working on their weaknesses. Um, and I think that's one of the big differences. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, if we look at like an easy example is uh, if we just looked at hand strength, like the amount of people I've met who have the hand strength of V15 rock climbers, who can barely pull double digit. Yeah. Like there's a lot of them. Yeah. But it's just that they don't have the other thousand facets. Right. That like make the highest level rock climbers climb at that level. Yep. And I also want to reiterate that that's okay. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I don't really want to be a pro climber. That's fine. It, you don't have to have the level of, dedication to working on your weaknesses you don't have to have the dedication to finding peers who have your goals similar goals in mind you know this is just to to illustrate why those pros are where they're at mm -hmm. they they have done a they've done more work in these facets than the average climber has and yeah. that's what's got them there. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, it's not training. You know, I'm. it pains me a little bit to say that since that's how we make our living. But, but most of the time, that's not it. I do think most of these facets could be improved through coaching, through mm -hmm. having someone to talk you through tactics, to talk you into going outside even though the weather doesn't look amazing um, to talk you through performance anxiety. Um, I do think that's really important, but most of the time the, the difference isn't 
training. Yeah. You know, I think this takes us uh, really well into our number one. Mm-hmm. That's effort. Yeah, this is big. Yeah. Um, you know. And most of us don't want to believe it. No, we all like to think we work really hard. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> first book I ever highlighted in my entire life um, was Dave McLeod's 9 Out of 10 I Climbers. I knew you were going to say that. God damn it. I really want to write a better book than that, but it's a pretty fucking good book. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, it's still the best book on rock climbing training. Yeah. And if if you guys haven't read it, check out our uh, episode post on the blog and we'll have it linked on there. It's also in our references page. If you just go to our website, um, go to the blog on the right side, you'll see check out our references and it's on there for sure because it's, all of us think that this is one of the best books in climbing yeah actually it's funny because paul's actually reading it now for I the know, first time all, he just yeah. texted us in our group text he's <clears> like oh my god guys i finally picked up this book i understand what you're saying yeah um but so first line i literally have ever highlighted my entire life was um in nine out of ten climbers what color highlighter yellow so did i ever tell you about this <laughs> i've reread that book about six times and for the first four times, I used a different color highlighter. So I knew what my highlights were every year, oh, which was pretty cool. Cause there were like, that these, is cool. there were these huge gaps where like, you know, year three, I'd be like, oh my God, there's this huge paragraph. How have I not highlighted this? How did like, I not see that This before? is speaking to me. Yeah. But then I would look at my old highlights from years <clears throat> past and I'd be like, That's Duh. old hat. Yeah. It's Everybody like, this knows. is common sense. Like what was I even thinking? Um, but it's pretty cool. But then I, uh, Lended it to a friend who is actually staying at your house right now. Oh. And it disappeared. Oh. So I no longer have those highlights. I have to talk to her about that. Yes. Um, but so those no, those highlights, that whole book doesn't exist anymore. But first highlight <laughs> I ever did in my life that no longer exists was that um, it's roughly, it pretty much just says better climbers put in better effort. And that the line is, Four percent more effort every day does not make a four percent better rock climber. Right. It makes right, a ninety percent right. better rock climber. Yep. Because it compounds. Like over time, like <clears throat> you put in four percent more effort every single day, like that is what makes the difference. Yeah. Like and I like I honestly think that above everything else, like that makes such a huge difference. Like that little bit of extra work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, totally. If if you and all of us Jesus, all of us have seen this in our own climbing. If you're out at the crag and you don't want to get back on that boulder, you don't want to get back on that pitch, whatever it is, you you just don't want to put that effort in and someone talks you into it and then you send and you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you put in a ton more effort but you got the thing done by putting in this little bit more effort. And every single person listening has had something similar to that happen. I've seen it over and over and over and over again with clients during sessions, putting in that extra little bit of effort makes a gigantic difference, especially over time. Have you ever, have you had any like kind of rules or things like that, that you've put in to help you put more effort in? Ooh, rules. Like I can give you an example of mine. Do it. So one I've been trying to do recently, um, because it's hard to do is, um, go to anchors every time. Like every time I tie in, I go to anchors. Every time. Yeah. And so here's what's funny is it's bad tactics to go to anchors every time mm-hmm. because there's a lot of times where it's like, no, I just need to do the, go to the bot, like go through the bottom. But if I fall, I'll just come down. But what I realized was I was using tactics as an, an excuse. Mm. I'd be I, like, yep. Yeah. I'd be like, Oh, I'll save energy. I'm just not going to go to mm-hmm. the top. But really like in the back of my mind, it was like, I don't want to go to the top. Cause it's like, I might still fall. Like yep. Yep. I don't want to have to do this link. Like, you know, or it's just like, I fell, I'm fucking furious right now. Like my foot slipped, it shouldn't have dirt me now. Like I want to be done with this where it's like the real, but the thing is, it's like, no, I need to go up. I need to fix that error that I made so that I never make it again. And then I go to the top. Yep. Like, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, really, 
Like there's this moment of like a fury or frustration or whatever the second I fall. And all I have to do is get over it, grab the rope and haul up. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Like, you know, I'm in a better mood. I'll just like go to the top and I'll figure this out. Mm-hmm. But it really isn't that much extra effort, but it's so easy to just like walk away early. So for me, that's something I've been instilling now is like I'm intentionally going against my own tactics mm-hmm. of, oh, you know, mm-hmm. I'll only work out the top if I need to. And now it's like, no, I go to the top every time. Like when this becomes an issue, it'll become an issue. But for right now, it's not. Yeah, I had a similar moment actually. Um, and the patrons already know this from over at the We Scream Like Eagles podcast. But when I was switching from bouldering into sport climbing, um, the route that I was trying was really bouldery at the bottom. And then it was like V8 into a 13A, basically. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I'm a boulder, but I know how to route climb. So I can, once I send that V8, which was everything I'm bad at in climbing, I should be able to just go to the top. But then when I finally decided, oh, I'm just going to start at the top of the V8 and go, and I fell at the next bolt. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, this isn't supposed to happen. <laughs> and it just hadn't occurred to me that I might need to dial in those other sections and spend some time in the upper half of the route. I had already done that portion of the route via a link up. So I knew I could do it. But that was years before when I was a totally different climber. Um, but more recently in my training... I've definitely had a rule of get uncomfortable. It's Mm -hmm. really just that simple. I had fallen into this. I like to be comfortable. I mean, for lack of a better word, I don't want to push outside of those boundaries. Um, So when I'm training, whether it's on the hangboard, whether it's doing campus punks, Whatever it is, I need to get a little bit uncomfortable. And I've started to really embrace that over the last few sessions to the point where I went a little too hard. (laughs) My finger's still a tiny bit numb um, because I just stayed on the hangboard way too long. But regardless, that's my rule right now. Get a little bit uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because... My, I had built up this grand capacity through sport climbing. And then when I became bolder, it was like, oh, this shit is easy. I don't really need to put in that much effort as far as like get uncomfortable long-term sort of <clears throat> effort means. It was more like try really hard for a couple seconds and that's all you need to do. Mm-hmm. Now with training, I need to try really hard for more than just a couple seconds. And that makes me uncomfortable. So so that's my rule right now. Nice. That's a good rule. You know, and I think when we talk about process, like I think that's something that great climbers do um, just intuitively. And it's so one thing that's really funny is like I used to, uh, when I climbed with Brian Voges a bunch. You mean they just give effort? They give effort and they like find what makes them uncomfortable. Like Mm -hmm. they like seek out the things that make them uncomfortable. Like the best climbers do. Um, But yeah, when I used to climb with Brian Voges, I remember it was funny because I would, a lot of times I would ask him questions. Like if I had these revelations, I was like, oh my goodness, like this. And he'd be like, duh. (laughs) Um, Like, but it seems like a fairly stoic, straightforward dude. Yeah. Um, Very much so. But like so often, like, if I was just like, oh, like if every session I just try and find something I'm terrible at and work on that, like it'll make me better. And he's just like, what have you been doing? <laughs> like, he's just like, this, he's like, this is rock Are you just climbing. doing this for fun? Yeah. It's like, wait, are you having fun right now? Wait, we can do that? But no, it's just like, there were so many times where he would just like, he had built in this process of all these things that every time I would like have these revelations, he'd be like, yeah, that's just like, that's what we do. Like yeah. That's what we do every Push day. Push toward that yeah. discomfort. Um, 
But, and so this isn't even just like, oh, you try a little bit harder every time you pull on the wall. Um, it is that, but it's also like you do the core workouts when you're tired or when you're like not feeling it. Like, you know, you do, like if you go into the gym and you feel like garbage, it's like, okay, I'm just going to do like a light endurance workout. I'm mm. going to get something <clears throat> out of this. Like you do the mobility work. You do, like you make sure you're well hydrated. You make sure you You don't give well. yourself the excuses. For sure. That's a big part of it. And and actually for me, that's that's been a big part of it recently because I have a business I'm trying to run. I have a house I'm trying to um, get to exactly what I want it to be. I have a new marriage I'm trying to <laughs> make sure is working perfectly. Um, and it's summer in Lander, which is fucking insane. Yeah, tons of people here. I if, had no idea what it was going to be like. If you wanted an excuse, you have a million. I have a million of them. And there have been days where I'm like, in fact, just two days ago, I was like, I'm going to get up early. I'm going to go train. I got up at 730, even though I stayed up way too late. I felt tired I got up, I made coffee, I got on my computer, I started doing work. Mm -hmm. Before I knew it, it was 12.30. Oh, man. You know, and I'm like, it's not early anymore. I'm just going to skip training and I'll do it tomorrow. And then about 1.30, I'm like, no, I can't do that. I need to go train. So I went out there and I trained, even though it was the hottest part of the day. I didn't really have a whole lot of interest in it other than... In the future, sometime, I'm going to be really fucking glad that I went out here and I did this. Um, so that's really what it came down to. Yeah. You know, and it touches on our point of consistency. Just like, you know, it's really easy. Uh, yeah, it's really easy to just try hard for like little bounce. <clears throat> um, mm -hmm. You know, in distance running, there's this phrase, uh, everyone has heart in the final stretch. Like... You know, it's really easy to sprint at the end. Like, right. And same thing, it's really easy to train hard when you're psyched. But it's just mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of times where you're not going to be motivated. Like work may have just really sucked. Like, you know, a lot of things might be going wrong. It's just, you know, if you can even just <clears throat> be like, okay, I'm just going to carve out 30 minutes. I'm going to go into the gym. I'm just going to climb. Like, I just need to do something. Like, if that's all you can do, then cool. Like that is still going to go a long way versus just writing things off. Yeah, I mean, if you can consistently put in a little more effort than you did last season, that's going to go a long way, even if it's just a small per percentage. And that doesn't matter if it's each day, if you're putting in a little more effort on that particular boulder. You know, if you can put 1% more effort, that might mean the send. If you can put 1% more effort into your training plan for that cycle, that might mean being better prepared for the send. You know, it's that effort that means a lot. Mm -hmm. And whether it's privilege or not, whether it's money or not, whether it's whatever that got those pros to that point, most of them, many of them are still putting in that effort day after day after day they're getting in the gym they're going hard they're thinking about what they need to do what sleep they need to get what they need to eat to be able to perform later down the road so so that effort is huge and if you can add a tiny percentage point to it great yeah totally and I mean, the other thing too is like there are so many facets that you can improve on in climbing or that you can do to improve your climbing. It's like, yeah, if you can just get a little bit of better, a little bit better sleep, yep, you're going to climb harder. Yep. Like, you know, maybe, well, maybe not if you're already getting like 12 hours a night, like <laughs> at a certain point, you're just going to be a panda <laughs> sleeping like 18 hours a day and eating the rest, uh, which there are worse things, but should a panda just be our logo? I mean, that would be cool. That would be awesome. It'd be cute too. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, sleep is something I've focused on a lot. I mean, at this point in my life, it makes a giant difference. And it seemed like such, such a small thing a decade ago. Mm -hmm. You know, so those tiny things that you can put a tiny 
percentage point of effort toward make a big difference later on. Yeah. All right. I think that's all we got here. Um, and again, I just want to point out that this is not just trying to say, oh, the pros are better than you. You're never going to get there. The pros are, are people that Nate and I and most of you out there look at for inspiration, for motivation. Um, Nate and I are lucky to call a lot of these people our friends. Many of you are lucky to call a lot of those people your friends. You know, that's what's really cool about this sport is that we get to share the field. We get to boulder right next to, rope up right next to our heroes, the other professionals in the sport. And, and I think we have a lot to learn from them. We used kind of the root of this. Um, that they have the money, the privilege, the opportunity to do these things, um, not to diss the pros, but to say that it may not, it's not worth comparing yourself to that if you're a full-time doctor lawyer, mechanic, painter, whatever. You know, if you have a full-time job and a full-time family and those are your priorities, great. You should do those things. I 100% support that. But there are some things we can learn from the pros. And even though they're rooted in this privilege and this opportunity, we can still chase those things. We can still shore up our weaknesses. We can still be more consistent. We can look for the peers that share our same goals and our same schedules. We can learn a better approach, a better process, a better process to the routes, the boulders that we're trying. And we can learn to put in more effort, period. So hopefully you guys get something from this. You know where to find us, powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the social medias at Power Company Climbing on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, and the Pinterests. You can look for us on the Twitters. You can look for us there twice, three, four, five times. doesn't matter. You're not going to find us because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 this